Thank you, thank you. And our desire, I'm just going to be straight up here, our desire is that, first of all, you'll have an encounter with Jesus. That's the first thing. And then number two, that you'll make a Downey First Christian Church your church home. All right? So we're going to go to the scripture uh, today, and we're going to go to a story that is a very familiar story, but this story has really touched me deeply, and I believe that it's going to do the same for you as well. So this is on the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 7, and starting in verse 36, we're just going to read through it, and uh, then we're going to uh, to do the message today. So verse 36, it says this. Listen to this. Uh, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, um, leaned Sorry, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, "Uh, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown... But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. So today I've titled my message, Alabaster Heart. Alabaster Heart. And this is actually the title of a song. It's a a worship song by Bethel Music that I absolutely love. So I stole the title, and that's the title that I'm using today. So let me me ask you a question. Have you you ever wasted something? Have you ever wasted something? Money? Have you ever wasted a relationship? Have you ever wasted time? Okay, that's three for three over there. I think we all have, right? There was this time when I wanted to, I wanted to run a marathon. This is about two years ago. And I, I, I gave my, actually more, probably like three years ago. I set a goal for myself. I want to run a marathon. I want to do it. And so I set up this whole plan for my marathon. And so I was training, I had this, this little app that I was using, and then I did a 5K, and then I did a 10K, and then I did a half marathon, and as I was training, I had a problem with my toe, and so it was an arthritic thing that I'm still dealing with, it has nothing to do with age, by the way, and um, what are you laughing about, and, uh, and so there's that issue, I still have it, and so in my mind, I'm like, and I, I signed up for the LA Marathon, so I was, you know, getting ready for that, and in my mind, I'm like, I just wasted time. That was all just a waste of time. It was a waste of money. It was a waste of energy. It was a waste of time. It was a waste of, you know, all these things. It was a waste. Have you ever felt that way in life? Have you ever felt that you have wasted time? 
Have you ever felt that you have wasted money? Have you ever felt that you have wasted investment in something in a relationship? And it's all wasted. Like, why even bother? Have you ever felt that way? You see, we're looking at a very familiar story. And in this story, there is this woman, and she's a sinful woman. The Bible specifies that she was a sinful woman, and she comes in and she crashes this dinner party. At this dinner party, Jesus was there. The Pharisees were there. The disciples were there. They were talking, and they were eating, and this woman comes in, and she's just sobbing. She's crying her eyes out, and she's at the feet of Jesus, and her her tears are wetting Jesus' feet. And as they're getting soaked, she's drying Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she grabs this this perfume box and she breaks it and she pours all the perfume on Jesus. And everyone was confused. The Bible tells us that the, 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 the fragrance of the perfume just filled the whole house. And this wasn't a small deal. You see, when we read this story, sometimes we forget some of the important details of this story. You see, when she went to the feet of Jesus... And she had this this alabaster jar of expensive perfume. This wasn't just any jar. This was an alabaster. There was a material called alabaster, which was a mineral that was used for many of the architecture of the Temple of Solomon. It was very expensive. The the perfume was made from, from pure nard, which if you're an office fan, I can't help but thinking about the nard dog. Anyway, that's just for... A few, that's my brain, I'm sorry. But, but it's, this, it's this, um, this plant from the Himalayas. It's very expensive. And, and this jar was, was, was sealed, was probably sealed with a, with a lock and a key. And she comes up to the feet of Jesus, and some scholars believe that the, the alabaster jar perfume, the whole thing was like $55,000 is what it would cost if we were to buy that thing right now. And she pours it at the feet of Jesus. And the, the fragrance fills the room. And this, this thing that this woman did was so beautiful and so confusing at the same time because this, this perfume was used many times to anoint someone that you were bearing that was a loved one. It was only used on special occasions. It was possible that this jar of perfume was passed from generation to generation. So grandma, then grandma gives it to mom, and then mom gives it to her. And so it was very, very important. It wasn't just any perfume. It was probably the most valuable thing that she owned was this alabaster jar of perfume. And whenever you use that, you would just use like a little dab. You take a little bit and just like, hey, that's enough because this is expensive perfume, right? You don't want to waste it. Mark chapter 14 tells us that she broke that jar. She broke it. She broke it, which meant that she had no intention of ever using it again. Matthew 26 says that she poured it out. She poured the whole thing out, which meant that that's it. I don't need this thing anymore. I'm pouring everything out at the feet of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this was an outrageous act. And Jesus agreed, by the way. When this was happening, Jesus agreed that this was, a, this was a, an outrageous moment. Jesus responds in Mark 14, 9, says, Truly I tell you, which I love this part. Truly I tell you, listen, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be also told in memory of her. Which that's crazy because the prophecy that Jesus was talking about was that is actually taking place right now as I, as I preach. We're talking about her. And Jesus knew that that would happen. That's how important that moment was. I love that. And so from the perspective of most in that moment, when she was doing what she was doing, from the perspective of most of the people that were there, there's, not, there's, no, 
There goes $55,000. That's $55,000 that I'll never see again. Judas was the most worried. He's like, we could have sold that and we could have given it to the poor. Yeah, right. And then there's the Pharisees that were convinced that if Jesus knew what kind of woman that was, that she was a sinful woman, that Jesus would never allow for this woman to kiss his feet and to, and to uh, dry the, the tears with her hair. So, so what's happening here? What's happening in this moment? What, what is this scene all about? Which was the question that everybody had. Nobody knew what was going on. Like, what's this whole thing about? And so Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, goes to Simon and says, hey, Simon, let me tell you a story, which I love because he's saying, let me tell you a story, Simon, but he knew that everyone was listening. So he's talking to him, but he's really talking to them. And he says, there's a story of this guy. It's a moneylender. And he had two guys that owed him money. One owed him 50, the other one owed him 500. No, neither one of them had money to be able to return the money that they owed, and so the moneylender just forgave the whole debt. So the question to Simon is, who do you think they, is going to love him more? Him more? And then Simon says, well, obviously the one that was forgiven 500, right? And he's like, Simon, you have answered correctly. And so here's, here's the conclusion. The conclusion that they're all coming to in that moment is that the reason why she was crying and the reason why she broke this alabaster jar and the reason why there's this whole scene that's taken place is because she's so sinful, She's so sinful. She's got so much sin in her life that, of course, that's what she has to do because she's done all these bad things in her life, and so she's coming before the feet of Jesus, and so everyone's like, okay, that makes complete, perfect sense because she is such a sinful woman. That's the conclusion that they were all coming to. So it's resolved, right? Right? So the reason why she was there it's because she was so sinful. The reason why she was so repentant was because she was so sinful. The reason why she was causing that incredible scene that we're talking about to this day is because she was so sinful. Right? So, so let me ask you a question. Because this woman reacted the way that she reacted because she, has, she had been forgiven so much. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask myself a question. Have you been forgiven a lot? Or have you been forgiven a little? Who are you in this story? Be honest. You don't have to say it. Who are you in this story? Are you the person that was forgiven 50? Or are you the person that was forgiven 500? Who are you in the story? Okay, I, like... Probably not 50, but definitely not 500. I got to be somewhere in the middle, Pastor. Probably like 120, maybe 250, to be quite honest. Not 50, not 500, probably like somewhere in the middle, right? I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. Who are you at the table? Are you the Pharisees? Definitely not the Pharisees. Okay, well, are you the sinful woman? who was kissing Jesus' feet. Who are, who are you at the table? Not a Pharisee, definitely not a Pharisee. But the woman, like, she probably did so many bad things that she couldn't even, like, they're not even mentioned in the Bible, so she's pretty bad. Somewhere in the middle. Now, if you say you're Jesus in the story, that's a whole other sermon for a different 
moment. Who are you in the story? You see, it's very important for us to understand this. Because most of us will answer that question. Are you 50? Are you 500? Are you the Pharisee? Or are you the woman? You're going to say, you know what? I'm neither one. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I'm bad, but I know a guy. I'm definitely not like that guy. Got to be somewhere in the middle. You see, here's the common mistake that we make. Please listen to this. Please listen to this. Josh Phillips, please listen to this too. This is a common misinterpretation of Scripture, and there's a common misinterpretation of the whole gospel, is this, that Jesus had to forgive much to some and then just a little for others. Like there's this, there's this, um, there's this, these different levels of the amount of forgiveness that Jesus had to impart in direct relationship to how bad that you have been. So many of you may say, okay, I agree that I need to be forgiven by Jesus. I get it. I get it. But compared to that guy, I'm pretty good. I'm not that bad. I'm okay. Not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But I'm not that bad. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake. Jesus is not saying that. He's not saying there's some that sin a lot and there's some that sin a little. He's not saying that. When he's talking about this story about the 50 and the 500, he's applying irony. Did you know that? That Jesus applies irony sometimes? Let me give you another example. When he says in Mark chapter 2, um, not, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He's not saying that there are some that are sick and others that are not sick. He's saying everyone is sick. But there are some who think that are healthy. And for those, I have little hope because they don't even realize that they're dead in their transgressions and sins. So it's very hard for them to come and ask for forgiveness because they think they're doing pretty good. Some people think that the Bible tells us we are dead or we were dead in our transgressions and sin. Not that we were agonizing. Not that, that we're sleeping or we got a little bit of a flu. No, 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 no. We're dead. And if you're dead, you don't need a pill. You need, someone, you need a resurrection in your life. And what's true here is true for all of us. And so the sooner that we admit, the sooner that you admit, that I admit that we are hopeless without Jesus, the sooner he will come close to you. You see, those who know they are sick have hope. Those who think that, are, that they are healthy are deceived. I don't know about you, but I'm sick. I'm dead in my transgressions and sin. I may look like I'm doing pretty good. Even, 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 the Bible says that even our acts of righteousness are like filthy rags before the Lord. Like even the good that I do is tainted with selfishness, is tainted with ego. So important for us to understand that. So the question remains, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? How do I see myself? Who are you in the story? The 50 or the 500? Who are you at the table? Are you the woman or are you the Pharisee? You see... I came to this realization a couple of weeks ago, actually about a month ago, even more than that, 
I was in my car and I was listening to this song by Bethel Music. It's called Alabaster Heart. And something happened to me that had never happened to me before. It was really strange. I got incredibly emotional. I got so emotional I had to stop the car. I wasn't sure what was going on with that song that I was hearing. And so I started getting a little bit obsessed over this story. And I started looking at the story. I also thought it might be a midlife crisis. But um, I wasn't sure what was going on. And so I started reading the scripture that I shared with you today. And I, and, and I started focusing on this part of the scripture that says that the woman lived a sinful life. That that woman lived a sinful life. And in that moment, it hit me. It hit me that every time that I read that scripture, I had read it many times before, that every time that I read that scripture, I would feel sorry for this woman. And I'd be like, that poor woman. Like, there was no judgment, but it was like, that poor woman, like, who knows what kind of stuff she did? Like, who knows what she'd been through? No wonder she had to come to the feet of Jesus. No wonder she was so broken down. No wonder she was so sad. No wonder she had no, like, shame. No wonder she came before the feet of Jesus like she did. So there was no judgment on my end, but subconsciously, I had distanced myself from her and thinking that she wasn't me. Came to this realization that I had an, accurate, an inaccurate idea of where I stand before God. You see, here's the point. If you, if you see yourself as any other than that woman at the feet of Jesus or you see yourself as any other than the guy who owes the 500, we're missing it. We're missing it. And the thing that hit me in, the, in my car, like a ton of bricks in that moment, was simply this. In the story, I too am that sinful woman. And the reason why I was so emotional was because I, I realized that my biggest sin was the belief that I wasn't as bad as her. You see, the beautiful thing is that when I opened myself up to understand that that was me, like, that's what was happening in the car. That's why I was so emotional. I'm like, that's, that's me in the story. Like, how did I not see that? The reason why I was so emotional was because I was understanding that. Like, of course, you know, but you know how Jesus received me? You filthy sinner, how could you? No. Grace, that's what I was missing out on. The grace that was available that I had not tapped into until that moment. That's true for all of us. That's, what that's, that's what's at stake. You see, the beginning of the parable when Jesus is talking about the 500 and the 50, Neither one of the two, the, the 50 or the 500, like the 500 was more money, right? The 50 is a little bit less, but the thing that they both had in common is that they didn't have any money. Like they, regardless of how much they owed, they still couldn't pay the debt. And Jesus forgives both of them. You see, no matter, no matter if you've messed up a little, in your opinion, by the way, or a lot, there's still nothing in our account to repay Jesus. Zero. And the moment that we understand that, Jesus is not waiting for us to judge us. He's waiting for us to embrace us and to give us his grace and his forgiveness. But we have to come to that point. 
we have to understand that we are spiritually bankrupt. You see, I am that sinful woman. You are that sinful woman. And if our attitude is anything other than surrender, brokenness, and gratitude, we have completely missed the boat. The beautiful thing about Jesus, though, is that he meets us at our brokenness. That's where Jesus hangs out, by the way. When we're broken, that's where we meet Jesus. That's where he meets us. In fact, he's attracted to sinful, broken people because that is fertile ground for him to just shower us with his grace. When we think we got it all together, Jesus is like, all right, this is not, they're not ready. When we understand that we are hopeless, bankrupt, we got nothing, that's when Jesus comes close to us. You see, here's the thing is that we assumed, we assumed that Jesus rejects us when we don't have our act together. I've heard this so many times, like, I'll, like I'll invite someone to church. They're like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to come to church, but I, I got to get my act together first. Like, what's that all about? If you have your act all together, good luck with having a true encounter with Christ. When you're broken, that's when Jesus meets you. And so this, this is the assumption that the Pharisees had as well. You know, they said about Jesus, if he was actually a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is, and he would not allow for her to be where she's at. Which is totally the opposite. You see, the Pharisees thought that the woman had to be more like them, and Jesus is saying, you Pharisees have to be more like the woman. The same is true for us. They were making a crazy assumption. These people that were sitting at the table with Jesus, hey, maybe even the disciples, by the way, they're making this crazy assumption that said they were thinking that the reason why they were sitting at the table with Jesus and that woman was down there was because they had less sins than her. But guess what? You know who was better positioned to receive the grace of Jesus in that moment? It was not the people that were sitting up at the table with Jesus. It was the woman that was at the feet of Jesus, completely broken. You see, the conclusion that sometimes we make is that the less sinful you are, the closer you are to Jesus. Wrong answer. There was no one closer to Jesus in that moment than that woman. You see, we have to be reminded that we are all dead in our transgressions and sins. That even our acts of righteousness are like filthy rags before the Lord. We have to understand it. There's no such thing as more sinful or less sinful. No, 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 no. Hey, you may do... From the world's perspective, maybe you do more bad things and then this other guy does less bad things. But guess what? Regardless if you owe 500 or you owe 50, we're spiritually bankrupt. So at the foot of the cross, the ground is level for all of us. We have to understand that. We all stand condemned if it's not for Jesus. The only thing that brings us close to Jesus is the realization of our hopeless condition. You see, the assumption of the Pharisees like I said before, is that the woman needed to be more like them. And Jesus says, no, you have to be more like that woman. Same is true for you and me. And so as I'm coming to a close, this woman comes up to Jesus and she's got this, this alabaster jar of expensive perfume. $55,000 is what scholars say that this whole thing would have cost. And she comes to Jesus and and she just pours it out on him. She didn't care. Like, I have no use for this. This is, this is for Jesus. 
And so the question I would ask is what is, it, what is your quote-unquote alabaster jar that you have, that you're holding back from Christ, that you're being invited to, br- to break before him and pour yourself out? It's a beautiful thing that she did. What she did is what we're called to do with Christ every day. Pour ourselves out for him. You see, the um, second part of the song of Alabaster Heart makes a parallel between, it talks about alabaster heart, and then it talks about alabaster cross. So it makes a beautiful parallel between what Jesus did for us and what this woman did for Jesus. I love this so much because the scripture tells us that the fragrance filled the room and that she poured this perfume on Jesus. And Jesus understood exactly what was going on. In fact, he says it. He says, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. You understand that when Jesus went to the cross, it is highly likely that he still had that fragrance of this woman on his body as he was being crucified. And in the same way that this alabaster jar of perfume was broken, Jesus' body was pierced. And in the same way that this perfume was poured out, Jesus' blood was poured out. And in the same way that this fragrance filled the room, the forgiveness of Jesus and his grace filled the entire world. And this is available to us. This is available to all of us. So I want to ask you to close your eyes and I'm going to say a few things and then we're going to pray. Because maybe you're here this morning and you're something that you're holding back from God. Maybe. I don't know what it is. Only you know. There's something. Maybe you're here and you've had this false idea that you're doing pretty good. That's also not true. But that's actually good news. Because whenever you declare hopelessness before Jesus, you create a space for his grace to come in and for his hope to renew you. And so this morning, I, I want to invite you to do what this woman did and to understand why she did it. Because what she did in that moment in time, 2,000 years ago, is actually an invitation for us to pour ourselves out before Jesus, to declare our spiritual bankruptcy before him, to realize that without him we have nothing. And that begins to revive us again from the inside out, knowing that all of his strength, all of our strength actually comes from him. Lord God, we thank you so much for these moments that we share this morning. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your presence. And we thank you for the sacrifice that this woman did as a symbol of preparation for what you were about to do for us. We thank you so much for this, God. And we, we give our lives to you. We pour ourselves out for you. We, we break open our hearts and our worship comes out before your throne. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.